0: Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Wrapping up our series today that we've called Spring Training and uh, just as we get started we have a young man in our church named James Enns who God has gifted in various performance arts and I've asked James to come forward and he's going to do a spoken word for us this morning as we get going
1: writing at five in the morning is becoming normal since I wake up at four knowing what I'm waking up for giving myself to the training days The days that take your strength to give you more. What else could one want to wake up for? Settling for nothing less than working to settle the score. Bore a cross and crossing out my apathy. Pathfinding my trail whenever I open the bindings. To be bound and abide, the word is power. Powering my training days, becoming a disciple. Disciplining my defaults to seek faultless. Made to make and encourage that anyone can choose this. Priority shifts so hard that everything gets flipped. Trying to hold my words careful behind my lips. The word is empowering my training days. Changing me in so many ways. Working to break my being into becoming a blessing. Not ever seeking, boasting, but believe me, this is just the beginning. I am starting to believe more will happen than I expect to see. When you start training, changing under his providence, things will be happening, you will see evidence. Seek the training days. Every day put in work. Give him praise.
0: As Father we open ourselves up now to your word and to the work that your word will do in our hearts and in our minds and as we seek to be more like you Jesus as we seek to train ourselves to be godly and to grow in what it is to be holy we pray Father that you will lead us in the way that we should go now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his great power that is at work within us To him be praise in the church and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, worship team. Thank you, James. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1137 in that Bible. As said, we are wrapping up our series today. We've been here the last, uh, I believe, eight weeks, seven or eight weeks. And have been spending some time just looking at how are we doing spiritually and how can we be growing spiritually? Just like the baseball players need to go away for a time to get ready for the season and they have to get back in shape and work on that physically. We've been talking about the same types of things spiritually. How do we get into spiritual shape where we are growing in what it is to look more like Jesus, to be more holy in our lives? Our key verse has been 1 Timothy 4-7 where we are told, train yourself to be godly. Uh, So we have a part to play in our own development. And yet we would say we can't entirely do it ourselves. I can't make myself look more like Jesus in the Bible God says I am holy and I will make you holy He is the one who is transforming us yet We have to choose whether we're gonna jump into that process or not We have to choose whether we are going to participate in being formed and made more like Jesus So about a month and a half ago. I was at the dentist everybody's favorite trip, right? And I was good, no cavities, woohoo, go Chris. And yet, I had an old filling that was starting to wear down. And so the dentist took a look at it and did x-rays and everything and said, that filling is starting to erode, uh, and if we don't drill that out and put in a new filling, then you might get more cavities in that too. So we're going to have to do that. And so I went back for my follow-up appointment, so I'm just going to get this old filling drilled out and this new one put in, and I was going to be frozen and everything. And as the dentist is looking at it, he's a super laid-back guy, uh, which I appreciate in a dentist, actually. And he's looking at it, and he's looking at the x-ray, and he says, you know what, it's a really shallow filling. Uh, He's like, I think I can drill that out without having to freeze your gums. And I said, I don't like how you said I think I can do that. And he said, I just, we don't like to do freezing if we don't have to, and he's like, I'm pretty sure I can just drill this out and and you'll be fine. And I said, what are the odds that you're going to be able to do this without it hurting me? And he said, "Mm, I would say better than 50-50. And I thought, I was looking for more like 99 to 100 before. And he said, I just, I think I can do it. He said, And he's pretty confident. He's been doing this a long time. He said, I just the way, the position that it's in, if we freeze it, there's always a chance that something could go wrong. And so we, we would rather not freeze it if we don't have to. So I'm going to do this, and you just wave at me if it starts to hurt. And I went... All right, you're the professional. I didn't go to dental school. All right. And I said, but just to be clear, I'm 100% pro freezing if we have to go get to that point. And so he began to drill and you all know the sound, that high-pitched whine that already you're just cringing just thinking about it and to his credit, there was one slight second of pain, but other than that, he drilled it out entirely without any freezing and filled it up without a problem, and now it's, it's filled with the new filling and everything is good, but man, it was a vulnerable moment to be there in that chair, and at the end, he's like, you are, are you all right, because I'm sitting there going, and I'm just sweating. I'm sure my blood pressure is through the roof, and it was just, uh, it was just on edge the whole time, because that, that's a, you know, we, there's a reason we don't love going to the dentist, right, because it's a, it's a vulnerable thing. We know it might hurt, and yet we also know that uh, you're putting your hands in you're putting yourself in the hands of a professional. And even if it does hurt, even if it has to hurt, it is a little bit of pain in service of your good, in service of your health. Uh, so even though it might not be pleasant, it's a little bit of temporary pain uh, that's going to prolong the life of your teeth. It's going to prevent greater pain down the road. And so when it comes to to physical training, and we've been talking and tying into that analogy as we've gone throughout uh, the series, is there is a saying, no pain, no gain, right? If you want to get in shape, no pain, no gain. It's going to cost you some things, it's going to cost you some time, you're going to burn some muscles, it's going to hurt a little bit, but it's pain in service of greater health. And I think our spiritual health is a lot along those lines, that uh, the idea of being formed and being transformed and, and becoming more like Jesus is not always easy. And there may be a little bit of pain involved sometimes, yet if we can entrust ourselves to the God who loves us, to the God who died for us, if we can trust that He is always working for our good, then we can understand that even if it's not always a pleasant process to be formed, that God knows what He's doing. His ways are higher than our ways, and His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. With that in mind, let's take a look at our text today. We are in Romans chapter 12, and we are starting in verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is—his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So this is a passage, not unlike me with the dentist, of us having to put ourselves in God's hands. And trusting that he is going to do what is good for us and it says in view of his mercy uh, remembering what he has done for you remembering the cross remembering the body that was broken and the blood that was shed remembering the grace and the mercy that he has lavished upon us remembering how much he loves us and how he has demonstrated that love in view of that God being in charge can you put yourself in his hands And allow him to do his work in you. Can you offer yourself up to him so that you can be transformed in light of his mercy? Can you trust him enough to do that? And as we talk about becoming holy and becoming more godly, becoming more Christ-like, it does require us to be able to take an honest assessment of ourselves and where we're at, to take a look at ourselves in the mirror and be able to say, hey, you know what? I see areas in my life where God is at work, where I am growing in godliness, where I can see over time, hey, I'm not as angry as I used to be, or I'm not as bitter as I used to be, or I'm not struggling with that sin as much as I used to be. There are changes that are happening that are good. And on the flip side of that, being able to say, okay, here are areas that need some work. Uh, If I wanted to get into better shape physically, I'd have to take a look at my body and say, all right, what do I want to work on? Do I need to, to lose weight? Do I need to build muscle? What parts of my body need some emphasis? And spiritually, we can do the same thing. Be able to take an honest assessment to be able to say just kind of where am I at and what needs some attention spiritually? Uh, where are there habits that are still bad habits? Where is their sin still at work in my life? Where is the, the bitterness that's still there or the anger that I'm holding on to or the unforgiveness? To be able to take an honest look at ourselves and say I can see areas where God is at work and I can see areas that need some work, that need some attention. And as we do that, uh, we are told by Paul in today's passage to offer our bodies to God, and not just our physical bodies, although that's part of it, but he's saying just offering yourself to God as part of your worship. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you think, every action, every part of you, offering it up to him. And Paul says that's really your worship. Right? We sing our songs of worship, and that's part of it. That's part of offering our bodies to God in worship with song. But it's also about getting the sin out of our lives, and it's about living in the way that we should, and living out the life of Jesus, and loving people the way that we're called to. It's giving our lives to him. That's really what our worship is. It's our songs, but it's much more than our songs. It's giving ourselves to him, offering ourselves up to him. That's part of what becoming godly is all about. We give ourselves to him. And we used to talk talk about the process of becoming like Jesus as discipleship. How are we looking more like him? How are we following Jesus in that way? More and more, uh, churches and and certainly schools and theologians are moving away from the term discipleship and replacing replacing it with the term spiritual formation. Because the problem with calling it discipleship, there's nothing wrong with it. We call it discipleship here, too, and it's just a well-known term. But um, when we talk about following after Jesus by way of discipleship, it's really easy uh, for it to become like a checklist of you pray this much a day, you read your Bible this much a day, you do these good things, and then you start to look more like Jesus. And what I like about the term spiritual formation is it's kind of coming out of this passage today. Spiritual formation is where we offer ourselves to God, and He makes us more like Jesus. I can't do it by myself by just following a checklist. God is the one making me more holy. God is the one doing the work. I am choosing whether to participate in that work or not, but the clay is putting itself in the hands of the potter and saying, form me the way you want me to be formed, the way that you created me to be before sin came in and screwed everything up. And so we put ourselves in the trusting hands of God in view of his mercy and say, Lord, change me. Change what needs to be changed. Shave off the rough edges. Form me into who I am supposed to be. Because there are things in our lives that are still there even though we love Jesus and follow him. We have character flaws. We have sin that is chronic. We have areas that need work and attention that are not very godly. And so we put ourselves in his hands and say, do the work, Lord, that you uh, want to do in order to make me who I am. One of our premises for this series has been it's in connecting with God. That leads to our refreshing and our renewal and our transformation. It's not just my sheer effort of I'm going to beat this sin by myself. Uh, We have to have some part of that, but it's as we connect with him, his Holy Spirit does the work. His Holy Spirit makes us new. His Holy Spirit is the one who does the transforming. And so we offer ourselves up to him saying, Lord, as I connect with you, you are going to do your work and make me more holy. And what we've been doing throughout this series is talking about different ways that we can do this. How can we better connect with God? What we sometimes call the spiritual disciplines. And so we started off in week one, Uh, just by way of recap, it was just a general uh, setup for the series, talking about we have a role We have to discipline ourselves as part of the spiritual journey so that God can do his work in us. Week two was train yourself to pray. Nothing happens in the kingdom without prayer. No change is ever going to be happening if we're not praying. And so we talked about different kinds of prayer, how different personalities uh, approach prayer in different ways, and that's all right. The next week we talked about Scripture. Train yourself in the Word, where God's Word comes to form us. The God breathed, inspired Word of God comes to encourage us, comes to challenge us, at times rebuke us, instruct us, show us the way that we should go. God's Word comes like a sword, Scripture says, and sometimes that means it's to cut away things that aren't supposed to be here, but it comes to spur us on and lead us in the way that we should go. God's Word comes to form us. We talked about community. Train yourself with others. In the next week. How we all have blind spots in our character. We can't see our own sin all the time. And so we need other people to come alongside. People, brothers and sisters who we love and who we trust who can come alongside us and help us see some things that we might not see about ourselves. That's going to help form us. God will use other people to form us. And not just challenge us on the tough stuff, but we also need people to come alongside and cheer us on. Anytime you see a marathon, there's a huge crowd there and they are cheering on the runners as they go by. And so we all need that as well. We need the encouragement of others to help spur us on towards love and good deeds, as Scripture says. We talked about discernment one week, train yourself to listen, that if we are going to walk with Jesus we need to learn more and more how to hear his voice and how to walk in it. That he is going to speak to us things that are important about ourselves. He's going to speak to us things that we need to know moving forward. And so we talked about what are some different practical ways uh, that we can be listening and learning to hear his voice better. Last week we talked about the spiritual pathways that uh, we all connect with God in different ways. Not everybody feels close to God in the same way. Not everyone is filled with the Holy Spirit in the same way. we are all different. And so finding whatever that different path is of how we connect with God, and just unapologetically pursuing that in our lives so that we can walk closely to Him, be filled with the Spirit, and transformed. And then we wrap up today with training yourself to be godly, which is just a bit of an overview and a wrap-up. But we are wanting to be Transformed into the image of jesus. We should if we're following him We want to be more holy. We should be acknowledging. I need to get the sin out of my life We want to be more godly. We want to be more like him And we sometimes use the analogy of a farmer in the field where the farmer can't make anything grow Right? That's entirely an act of God. The farmer cannot make the sunshine, the farmer cannot make the rainfall. the farmer cannot make the miracle happen where the seed unfolds in the ground and life occurs, because that's entirely an act of God. God makes life happen. Period. However... The farmer has to decide, well, am I going to till the soil? And am I going to plant the seed? And am I going to tend to it once it's planted? Am I going to bring in the harvest once it's there? The farmer has a role to play. In, in this all coming about. It's God who makes the life happen, but the farmer participates in that life happening. And that's a pretty good picture of what I'm talking about. God is the one who does his work in us. He is the one who makes us more holy, but we choose whether we're going to participate in that. We choose whether we're going to press into him. We choose whether we're going to seek to connect with him. We choose whether we're going to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We choose whether we're going to pick up our Bible and let it teach us and challenge us. We choose whether we're going to let other people come alongside us and help us in the journey. We choose whether we participate in what God is doing. And as we do that, we can be formed. And so we are called by Paul to offer ourselves up to him so that we can be transformed. And Paul says, not just offer yourself to him as your worship, offer yourself as living sacrifice. So we're not literally dying like an animal sacrifice. We're not literally dying in our bodies uh, like Jesus did. But we are offering ourselves up as a living sacrifice. Because even though I'm still alive, there are parts of my life that need to be killed off. There are parts of my flesh. There are parts of my selfishness. There are parts that need to be dealt with. And so as a living sacrifice, we say to the Lord, I understand there are parts of me that need to be crucified. There are parts of me that need to go. And so I offer myself up as a—not a a sacrifice where I'm literally losing my life, but where I am offering myself up to you and saying, hey, I, I trust you to help make me better. And there is sacrifice involved in following after Jesus. There is sacrifice involved in living a godly life. There is a, a, a choice we have to make of are we going to choose the narrow way or are we going to live however we feel like. Jesus took a pretty radical approach in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 29 and 30. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So Jesus is not literally encouraging self-mutilation, but Jesus often uses hyperbole. He often exaggerates something in order to make a point. So his point here is not literally start cutting off body parts, but it's if there's anything in your life that is causing you to sin, get rid of it. It's Jesus' radical approach to sin removal in our lives. Is that if there's anything in our lives that is drawing us away from God, if there's anything in our lives that is causing us to fall into sin, then that needs to be dealt with. It needs to be something that we cut off and we get rid of for the sake of being healthy and holy moving forward. Uh, The call is extreme, for sure. And so I have friends who have said, you know what, I can't trust myself on the internet with just going and looking at things that I'm not supposed to look at, so I'm just not going to have a phone, and I'm just not going to have internet in my life. Or if I do have it at home, I'm going to have it in the kitchen, and I'm only going to go on if my family's home, so there's some accountability. That's the kind of thing that this is talking about. That we, you know, again, if we're being honest, we know where our sin is. We know uh, what triggers things, and we can pay attention to that, what brings us to that place of sin. And as we start to pay attention to that, then there may be some things in our life that we need to give up. There are certain people in my life, they just bring out the gossip in me. And it's not their fault. It's my fault. It's in me. But there are certain people, it's just, it just kind of comes up. It's just a gossipy atmosphere. And so I have learned there are some people I need to pull away from a little bit. And again, it's not their fault. It's mine. But uh, when I, even when I first got saved, I had a couple of friends where whenever I hung out with them, they weren't Christians at all. But whenever I hung out with them, I just fell back into all my old sinful habits that I had done that I was trying to get rid of. And I learned over time, I need to sacrifice these relationships, at least for now. I'm just not strong enough to be around them without falling into sin with them. And I read these verses and went, "Uh, Jesus is telling me something. That if there's something in my life that's causing me to sin, I need to take a radical approach to that so that I can walk in the way that I should go. So that's part of our sacrifice. There's another part of sacrifice as well. Uh, Hebrews 12, verse 7 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. Some versions say embrace hardship as discipline. Our trials, our storms, our difficulties, uh, we are to embrace them as discipline. God is treating us as his children. God is going to use these things to help shape us and form us if we will be open to that. And that's, of course, way easier to say than to do, and that's not a light thing. You would never say that at the funeral home. Like, that would be incredibly insensitive, and there's different levels of trials, and so I'm not saying we should go around quoting this to every situation, but this idea that not all hardship comes from God. We know that from Scripture. Some things come from the devil. Some things come from ourselves, because we're sinful humans. Sometimes a trial might come from God, but not always necessarily. But we don't have to rejoice in the hardship, but it's more, can you lean in to the hardship? Can you trust that even if it's painful, God will have a way of redeeming this pain? God will have a way of somehow, Romans 8, bringing good out of this in some way for your good. Because God is always working for our good, we would believe from Scripture. And so we're not thrilled in our storms, we're not looking for storms, we're not looking for difficulty, but can we at least understand that if storms are going to come, that we can submit ourselves to God and say, Lord, I, I trust you. And I will let you do your work in me as I go through this hard time. I will submit myself uh, to the dentist drill. I will allow myself to, to be open to what you are trying to work out in me. And I'm not saying the hardship is coming just in order to do that. But when hardship is there, uh, can we trust him enough to put ourselves in his hands? Robert Clinton is a Christian author. He wrote a lot on Christian leadership. He said there's three great arenas by which God does this, and it's not a a universal thing necessarily. It's not that there aren't more, but it says there's three key ways that God works out his formation in our lives through hardship, and that's conflict, crisis and isolation. Conflict, whether it's a marriage that's struggling or work relationships or friendships or family or whoever uh, you're in conflict with, there is an amazing opportunity for you to become a better person in every conflict that you encounter. But it's really, really hard to do because when I'm in conflict, I am right and the other person is the one with all the problems. Right? It's them who's insensitive. It's them who's not listening. It's them who's the problem. And yet, in any conflict I've ever been in, I can look back and say, even if the other person was legitimately being a jerk, they had some good points about me in there, in whatever we were fighting about. Right? There is good that, that can come to me if we're willing to be open to say, all right, what, what is true? Even if it's angry, even if it's bitter, even if it's not entirely fair, Uh, Where is there truth in here where where I have stuff I need to work on and where God can actually use conflict to let some of my junk rise up to the surface? Uh, I feel like I'm not an overly angry person, but sometimes conflict will happen and anger will be right there, and I'll go, oh, whoa, hey, I didn't know that was in there. There it is. And so to be willing to say, okay, what does that tell me about myself? What do I need to be praying into? What do I need to be aware of? crisis, and we've all been there, Uh, and it can look a lot of different ways. The loss of a job, or a financial struggle, or or physical health, or the loss of a loved one, or whatever. And again, not saying that God makes those things happen, but how many times have we heard testimonies of people who've gone through crisis say things like, I have never prayed more in my life. I have never felt so close to Jesus. I uh, I would never ask for that season again, but I've also never grown more in that season. And there are just times in life where we just come to the end of ourselves, where we say... I can't fix this. This problem is too big. There is nothing I can do to make this different. Uh, I have done maybe even everything right and did everything I thought I was supposed to do, and it still didn't work out the way that I wanted. We come to the end of ourselves, and again, there's an opportunity there when we do come to the end of ourselves and we lean on the everlasting arms of the one who is stronger. We lean on his mercy. We lean on his grace. And uh, these are not the pleasant times of life, but they are often some of the most transformative. So we don't have to love them or ask for them or rejoice in them. Uh, But can we look to them and say, God, do your work in my life. Do what you want to do. Scripture talks about this over and over and over again in the New Testament. Trials being part uh, of what can make us more like Jesus. Isolation is the last one. And that has nothing to do necessarily uh, with literally being by yourself. You can feel isolated in a marriage. You can feel isolated in a house full of people. You can feel isolated when you're around all the time. There's just, there are lonely times of life. And it might not be that we're literally by ourselves, but we can feel by ourselves. We can feel cut off. We can feel alone. Sometimes when pastors get together, they talk about that. That in ministry, uh, it's often a very lonely job, which sounds counterintuitive because you're around people non-stop. Uh, and yet, it's not just necessarily about whether there's people around you or not, it's about, uh, you know, are you, do you have people you can talk to? Are you feeling uh, seen? Are you feeling heard? Are you feeling cared for? Um, and we don't always feel that way. Even Jesus had to head out into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil. Even Jesus spent time alone, withdrawing to lonely places to pray. And just like conflict, other people can be a big part of what forms us. So too, when we're feeling lonely, that's where God can do some great one-on-one stuff with us and Him. And, and again, we are uh, called to press in and, and push ourselves into Him in that season. And so uh, these are three things that Clinton talks about as just broad areas we can all probably relate to them a little bit. They're not the only ways that formation can happen, but if we can submit ourselves and be willing to say, uh, I'm not looking for conflict, I'm not looking for crisis, I'm not trying to be alone, but uh, if I'm in those seasons, if I'm there, why ever those things are happening, can I entrust myself to the God in view of God's mercy, Can I entrust myself to him and say, Lord, do your work. And even if this season is painful, uh, I'm going to trust that you will redeem that pain. I'm going to trust that it will be short-term pain uh, that you will somehow use for my good, and you will somehow use for your glory. You will somehow use it. Uh, I can entrust myself into your hands in view of your mercy. Not that God is making all of these struggles happen, but if these struggles are coming against us, uh, can we lean on his grace in the midst of the struggles and put our trust in him? Paul finishes up saying, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. It's a good kind of play in the juxtaposition. Don't be conformed, be transformed. Not conformed, but transformed. Do not fall into the habits of the world we see around us, the sinful ways, uh, our old habits, our old patterns. Don't fall into that rut. Allow yourself to be changed by the renewing of your minds. And be willing to, uh, like the clay, put yourself in the hands of the potter and say, yes, Lord, do your work in me. And if it hurts a little bit, I will trust that the pain is going to be for my good, just like the dentist drill. If it's going to work for me and make me more like Jesus, I will trust the process that you want to work out in my life. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's masterpiece. And you see that people post that on Facebook a lot. You're a masterpiece. You're a masterpiece. And I always didn't like it because I felt like it was very kind of us-focused, like us-glorifying. Like, look at me. I'm the most special person who ever lived. There was something about it that I didn't care for. And yet, as I studied into the Greek of this passage, it turns out when it says you are God's masterpiece, what the Greek means is you are God's masterpiece. That is what it says. That you are, some versions say, his workmanship or his craftsmanship. Uh, But the picture is God is creating you into something beautiful. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And yes, sin has gotten in there and messed things up. But God is wanting to form you into who he created you to be. And part of this trust process is saying, I just, I trust that. Uh, And even if I don't feel like a masterpiece, I trust that God wants good for me. I trust in his mercy. I trust that he loves me. I trust that he is on my side and he is working for my good. And as I offer myself up to him and as I seek to connect with him, I'm going to trust that he will form me into who he made me to be because part of that trust is saying, I trust that there's more for me than I have experienced yet in him. And I trust that holiness is better than not having holiness. I trust that living like Jesus is better than not living like Jesus. I trust that godliness is better than lack of godliness. And so I will offer myself up to him, and I will connect with him through the disciplines, and I will say, Lord, work it out in my life. Form me into who you, in your wisdom, before time began, before all of this came about, form me into who you knew I was supposed to be. Can we trust him enough to put ourselves in his hands that way and train ourselves to press into him to that purpose? I'm going to show you a video just as we get ready to close, and it's an older video, and it's a few minutes long, so we've preached a little shorter today, but it's called God's Chisel. It's by the Skit Guys, and you may have seen it before, but we're going to let them have the final word today, so take a look.
2: Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a, a masterpiece, you know, I mean, maybe a Picasso, it's like, <laughs> but I want to be his masterpiece, I want to be everything he created me to be, and so I go to him in prayer, and I say, dear Heavenly Father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your Son, make me your masterpiece, in Jesus' name I
3: pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. that's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky.
2: Yeah, you're not God.
3: Why do you say that?
2: God wouldn't say yucky.
3: I do. It's a Greek word.
2: Oh. Okay, okay. Um, If you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say?
3: Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh.
2: Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year?
3: I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away.
2: You answered my question with a question.
3: I did? <laughs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you to my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yep. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Yeah. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm-hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there. Kind of like. Dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed
2: up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running. I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what? If you chisel a line right here, and maybe four to maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. You're
3: funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. But the platypus. All I'm saying is, most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So, do you want to talk, or can I chisel, talk, chisel? No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose the chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on, okay. like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um, you compare yourself to others instead of me. <clears throat> You tell little white lies because you want to people, please. You're lazy, but you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust? No, I can do it
2: any time I want. <sighs> Hang on a second. I mean, I, I gotta admit, I, mean, I feel like you've been doing some great work and I'm
3: looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and other people need to see my son.
2: Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So
3: what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know
2: everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other,
3: you know? I'll stay right here, and then, you That's know... That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay what you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel.
2: No, chisel, chisel. All
3: right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh,
2: okay, I'm sorry.
3: Now this right here, this secret sin that you keep running to whenever you're hurting, angry, lonely, tired, that you think you're fooling everybody, but it's making you a whitewashed tomb. Are you ready for me to chisel this out of your life? Yeah. See, it's a process. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon, it's your whole life. And you care so deeply about what other people think of you. It's rubbish, it's garbage. The greatest thing you're ever gonna hear is at the end of your life when you hear me say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what you keep your eye on. That's the prize, heavenward. Oh, that hurts. Oh, trust me, this hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Okay, I'm sorry, I just, I don't think you understand this pain. Pardon me? You're asking me to sacrifice a lot, God. Don't talk to me about sacrifice. I know all about sacrifice. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting different results. And there are things that you've been doing for years, these empty wells that don't have anything to offer. You've been going to them, and it's insane. Allow me to chisel them out of your life. Um, Allow me to produce character where you keep focusing so much on your image. Okay, but I was thinking. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Okay, but if we went another way. Your ways are not my ways. Oh, I can't. You can't what? I I, I, I can't be good. That's your excuse. That's your excuse is that you can't be good. It's not an excuse. I can't. Oh, my child. In the beginning, I said it was good. I made you good. Be good. Yeah. But you and I both... What? Nothing. No, what is it? Nothing, okay? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just, um,
2: I let you down so many times, God.
3: No, my child. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand. Never the other way around. In this relationship, I hold you up. chisel away
2: just just be prepared for what you're going to find in there because I know who's inside there because I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror and I hate who I see because deep inside there this 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 little kid who gets up every morning and dresses like an adult and I go out and I, and I try to do what I'm supposed to do, but I can't, okay? I can't be who everybody else expects me to be. God, I can't even be who I want to be, much less who you created me to be. And so inside is this scared, stupid little kid. But you chisel away. Just
3: be prepared. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that were not for me. And you have totally bought into the lie, haven't you? You think you're junk, don't you? When you lay your head down at night after you've done the dance to get the hug, you think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't take time to make junk. How can I show you that my love for you stretches as far as the east to the west? That, how can I show you that my love for you has no end? I know, reach your back pocket. What? Reach your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach your back pocket. Oh, God. Yes?
2: I just meant, God, I'll do that right now.
3: You're just saying my name in vain. Come on. It's it's a name. It's a saying. It's a name above all names. It's more than a saying. It's more than a name. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach your back pocket.
2: Oh, my God.
3: You know what that is?
2: Yeah, it's a... Uh... It's a note. I I wrote it when I was in
3: college. How did you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and read it.
2: I love Angie. Other side. Sorry. Dear God, did I hear you write today? Did I hear you say that you love me? Even though you and I both know I've messed up so many times. Did I hear you say, you want to use me? And I feel so useless. If you'll take me and use me, then God, I give you all that I am. Take me. I love you, God.
3: I love you too, and I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. This salvation that you hold, I don't want it to be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out in every detail of your life. And when problems come and chaos happens, don't look at it as a prison, but look at it as a father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. You know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, but you bought into the life thinking everything was going to be easy when you gave everything over to me. There will be trouble in this world. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I want you to do something. I want you to look out there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece.
2: Tommy is God's... No, not
3: the way you see yourself or you try so desperately for others to see you. But maybe for the first time in your life the way I see you, the way I created you.
2: Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece.
0: Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And we trust him enough to offer ourselves up to him and trust that the work that he does will be good as he forms us into who he has created us to be, the one who is holy in heaven, who has promised, I will make you holy. And as we press into His holiness, where His holiness becomes our holiness, where we are formed into who He created us to be from the foundations of the world. We're going to spend some time worshiping the Lord in the beauty of His holiness, and then we'll break for lunch. I'll ask you to stand to your feet, please, as we get ready to close.
4: I'm going to invite our prayer team to come forward, and as we wrap up our service, I just invite you guys, I encourage you if you are needing prayer, to come forward and let us pray with you this morning. Um, Also, as we close, I'm just going to pray a blessing over our lunch um, right after the service following. Let's pray. God, I thank you for being bigger than anything we can understand, Lord, that you are three in one, that you are perfectly holy and just and mighty, Lord, and that you love us despite of our sin that you reach out for us, God, that you sent your son knowing that we are not perfect. God, I thank you that you have made a way that we can come before you. Lord, that we can even worship together this morning as a church just baffles me. But I ask, Lord, that we would not take that for granted and that as we leave this place, Lord, you would chisel away at the things you want removed from our lives, Lord, that you would convict us and that we would be people who seek to honor you lord that we would not not stop learning just this morning lord but that i would follow as we leave these walls god that you would give us a desire and a hunger for your word that we may be the men and women that you have created us to be so i ask that for us this morning lord and and as we head down to the gym god to just bless psalm D and his family as we have lunch i just thank you for them and for the mission-minded person that you have made him to be, for the desire in his heart that you have given him, Lord, that he is a man of you. Um, and we lift up their family this morning as we celebrate with them what you have for them. And we just ask that you bless the food that we eat to the nourishment of our body. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Have a good Sunday, everyone.